Good morning, everyone. If you would, uh, in your Bibles, turn to the Proverbs, we will continue uh, the lessons that we have been uh, embarking on there in Proverbs. Particularly, we're going to be looking in the third proverb this morning, so if you turn to that, uh, you can follow along with me as we do that together. It's uh, interesting to me, uh, as I grow older, I didn't think a lot of it, um, as I, a lot about it, actually, as I was younger, especially when I had my own kids, um, but I realized that there are just so many different ways of handling uh, kids in this day and age and in the generation that has passed. And when we read the Proverbs, we're talking about a parent um, openly and actively uh, counseling his child uh, about the best way to live life. And in our day and age, it's not uncommon for parents to kind of try to idealize the future for their child. Uh, It's not necessarily a good or bad thing, it's just interesting. Because um, many times parents will tell their children, you know, you can be anything you want to be, and you can do anything you want to (laughs) do, and you can achieve anything that you put your mind to. And these are very wonderful and encouraging things to say. But Solomon, he just wasn't going to have any of that. You know, Solomon was was just this kind of individual who was very straightforward. And if you look at back at chapter 1 and 27, he says, When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you... I mean, this is, this is the word of a parent to his child going, Look... Uh, yeah, you should do well and you should increase and you should always do what you need to do that is right. But understand this, life is going to be stormy. There are going to be calamities. There are going to be challenges that come against you and they are going to be tough and they're going to be hard and you need to be ready for it. And it's one of the great things that we read here. Um, he's not idealizing a future by any means. He's not giving his child any fantasy to live in, okay, just to keep them positively minded as we hear about in our day and age. He's being honest, perfectly honest. He's assuring his child life is stressful, life is filled with challenges. Um, Solomon doesn't kid anybody about anything. So, because that trouble will come, Notice what he has said to this point. The escape of it is in prayer. Go to God. Talk to Him. The escape of those stressful, you know, challenging situations is in your own purity. Don't allow those things that seek to attack you to take away your purity. And then he says, very importantly, where we left off last time, be diligent. Be diligent. Keep that up. Keep going. He's assuming a dedication to the words that he's giving to his child. These are the very words of God himself. And he's saying, look, and have you ever heard that? You know, life isn't easy for me. There's no manual to it. 
Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, Solomon would say, well, yeah, here's the manual. He would, he would tell you, look into the Scriptures. Don't say, life isn't easy, I didn't get a manual when I was born. Say, you know, yes, you did. Every one of us has access to the manual that can help us live a life that is good, that is rewarding, uh, that is filled with blessing, but that is stressful and has challenges and still the calamities will come. And I mean, there's, there's no two ways about that. And so um, Solomon then is giving to his son this idea of instead of a fantasy, instead of some pie in the sky kind of idea, have confidence. Have trust in God. Have a lifestyle that leans on God, is dependent on the Lord. Because purest faith is is quickly shown or construed in our day and age as thoughtless, as unnecessary. If you're a faithful person, that's exactly what people will tell you. They will chide you. They will even tell you, you know, that's just a dumb thing because that's just not the way the world works. No, you're right. That isn't the way the world works. I agree with you. The world works in a, in a way completely different than what God is demanding through His Word, and that's the reason He does it. So that we would not be fooled into the false mindset, that's the way the world works, so I just have to do things the way the world does them to succeed, to find some measure of happiness, uh, to find some measure of peace in myself and quiet, I have to kind of do what I have to do to live. And Solomon says, no, no, no. Lean on the Lord. Be dependent on Him. Even though it's not easily done, lean on Him and here is the information that you need. Notice there, Solomon, therefore, is revealing some amazing truths. And look at that that passage there. Let's go ahead and, and read those first few verses. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And when you look at the... I just love the way this is written here. There's there's semicolon after semicolon after semicolon. This is a succession of things. You can almost hear the voice of Solomon as a parent, you know, bind it around your neck, write it on your heart, find favor, trust in the Lord, and all your ways acknowledge Him. I mean, he is just giving this constantly, constantly coming uh, counsel, and it's just going over and over again, son, 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 do this well, do this well, do this well, keep this, keep this, flooding him, <laughs> flooding him with, with rich counsel so that he can understand the way he's supposed to live. And later on, he says in verses 26 and 27, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. 
Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. What, what an incredible thing that we read there. What an amazing thing that Solomon is revealing. The way of God will win favor. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever had someone who thought you were just a goody-goody or goody-two-shoes or just a, a stick in the mud or something like that? Because, you know, you don't like to hear people cuss, you know. You don't, you don't like that. That's bad communication. And, you know, people, people shouldn't do the things that they do. They shouldn't lie. They should not commit fornication. They should not do these things that they're just common to do. And you're the stick in the mud and you're the goody two shoes and constantly you're hit by this. And that doesn't sound like what Solomon is saying, does it? You know, it's funny. Uh, my boss at the school, he came up to me and he said, Hey, Joe. Uh, there's a teacher training in uh, in Las Vegas. And he goes, uh, I want you to go with me. And I looked at him and I said, I bet you do. And he goes, what do you mean I bet I do? I said, because you drink. And you drink a lot. And you shouldn't do that. And you want me there so you don't end up in the street or beat up or somebody take your money from you or something like that. You want me to carry you around Las Vegas? I'm not going to do that. He gets this big smile on his face and he goes, Okay. I knew what his plan was. You know, pick the Christian. Isn't that interesting? Solomon says that very thing. He says, you will win favor with God and with men. Isn't that interesting? People that are completely opposite to you, that completely oppose everything that you stand for, when the rubber hits the road, as they say, that's when it becomes important. That's when it becomes the time for you to rise up and to do what needs to be done. And it's interesting. Life will be extended itself, he says, because you're avoiding habits that will kill you. Lo and behold, (laughs) you give up the very habits that can kill you, that can take you away. You stop enjoying you think you're enjoying or or taking part in those habits and activity that are associated with sin which is debilitating sin is a debilitating act and this is exactly what what solomon is telling his son don't forget that have confidence and trust in the things you need to have confidence and trust in because no matter what life looks like you will have the advantage Your foot will be taken out of that trap. And you will not have to deal with it. And if we would just desire God in the way that Solomon is telling his son to desire God, his child to desire God, then the same thing would be true for us. We give up too easy. That's really what Solomon is talking about. Look at that succession again. Don't let love and faithfulness forsake you. Have you ever said, boy, it's really hard to love that guy? It's really hard to love that lady. Talk about rough around the edges. Solomon is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, let love and faithfulness stay with you. Bind it around your, your neck. Do those things. Look at that just over and over and over again. He's hitting him with this stuff. And it's beautiful. But it's so challenging, isn't it? There's that challenge. Lean not on your own understanding. We were talking about that this morning in class. 
you know, uh, I appreciated the fact that that was pointed out specifically when there was, when Judas killed himself and there was another apostle that needed to be appointed, uh, they cast lots. And, and if you were in the class, you remember Edwin said, look at that. They're not just choosing a guy. They're having God choose him for them. So important. And that's exactly the point here. Exactly the point that he's making. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Isn't that usually what we do? Isn't that exactly the criteria for actions that we take or things we condone? Right? If we're going to, okay, we're going to go along with something, that, that's our, that's our qualifier. Isn't it? <laughs> Lean in my own understanding, wise in my own eyes. Uh, how our well-being is going to be affected, doesn't care about. We don't tend to care about that. How our faith is going to be af- uh, affected, we don't care about that. Our personal desire, our well-being, how we want our will to be affected is what we focus on. And even even the best of us would have to admit that. Because that's, that's just the way we are. Uh, and it's whether the action or agreement is godly or not. And, and this morning's class was just, I was just reeling from it, and I still am, which is why I'm walking back and forth, by the way. I'm just reeling from it, because um, this morning, like, like Ed Looney, he said, you know what, I am of the mind that if somebody walked in and put a gun to a Christian's head and said, you defy God or I'm pulling the trigger, they'd say, pull the trigger. I agree with that. You know, because we, we can wrap our heads around that, you know. But, hey, uh, you know, I took some money from the till. I got a wife and kids. You know, I don't want to get in trouble. You know, can you lie for me? The gun is right to your head. Right to your head. It's the same thing. What a beautiful point. You know, it is the exact same thing. No, You know, chances are you're not going to be the lucky one. <laughs> who gets that gun pointed to your head. And I think that's a beautiful point. No, you're not going to be the lucky one that says, defy God or die to die. You're not going to be that one. You're going to be the one whose friend put his arm around you going, hey, you know, I need you to keep this under your head or I need you to, to do this for me. And you're going to go, oh, well, you know, You've been friends for 20 years. I don't care you've been my friend for 20 years. You don't defy God in my presence. See, Joseph, remember Joseph? He wouldn't have done that. (laughs) But we readily and we easily do that because we avoid these principles. And this is because the Scriptures never describe these principles as just something we keep in our head. Oh, I would defy the person that put the gun in my head, so therefore I'm a Christian and I'm good and I'm faithful. No, it's not a mental ascent. This is about action. This is about action. And see, we live our lives. Have you ever lived your life around somebody that thought there were signs everywhere? You know, you're going to church one morning, you get a flat tire and you get out and you go, well, that must be a sign. I'm going to go home and watch the game. Because that's really what I wanted to do. You know, what I wanted to do was stay home from church today and go do what I wanted to do. God sent me a sign and said, it's okay. No, it was just a nail or a sharp object on the highway 
what God was probably telling you is get out and get the jack and change your tires so you can get to church. And didn't care if it was late or not. But we, we'll, we'll develop whatever we need to develop, right? This must be a sign. Yes! But probably not the one you're thinking of. Circumstance is allowed in many cases to be the determining factor in how we obey God and live as His children. And it should not be. Coincidence is not a message from God. And Job learned this, didn't he? Remember Job? Job learned this. Why, why am I, what is all this? And we, we feel sad for Job, right? Job was part of a spiritual cosmic battle that was going on and he didn't even know it. And by the end of Job, he goes, oh, now I see. I think Job just saw, you know, God, you needed me to be that person. I still don't know why. See, I don't think Job knew why at the end of Job. He just said, now I see. Eh, what do you mean? What did he mean by that? Did he mean, oh, I get it now. God was going against Satan and Satan was challenging God and I was the soldier he was using in that battle. Job didn't know that. He simply said, I thought I knew you and now I see. How did he see that? Through the blessing, right? God's blessings returned to him and he goes, Oh, (laughs) God's still with me. I'm still with God. He's not arraying his armies and his arrows against me as I said he was. No, no, he's not. And so circumstance is not about how we believe God. And it's funny because Job saw it. And we look at it sometimes and we think to ourselves, but I, I can't see it. Why not? Why can't you see it? Why can't I see it? I think we have this, this kind of false, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, this false bravado that we kind of feel. I mean, God could be using you or I in the same way. You could be that person, and I can't tell you in my own personal life, and this is just a, a selfish thing, but I can't tell you how many times in my own personal life I have seen brothers and sisters in Christ overcome great obstacles and great challenges and disease and difficulties in their life to do and to stay faithful, whether it be to come to services or or give advice that is good and godly or give a rebuke, to be frankly, to be frank about it, and and you know, just do all those things for me, and I was just I don't know, just amazed by that and so fulfilled by that with joy and love and and faith and I felt so good about that. And I don't think we look at ourselves that way. You know, did that person, even with me, after telling me what I needed to know, rebuking me how I needed to be rebuked or encouraging me how I needed to be encouraged, I wonder if that person knew that it was because of their overcoming so many challenges and, and difficulties in their life in doing that anyway that enriched my faith. That God actually was using them, and again I say selfishly for me, but that's the way God works, doesn't He? He loves each and every one of us. He says that trap, you'll escape it. You won't, you won't be able to get stay there. It won't be something that can hurt you because you'll be taken out of it. See, that's the idea there. Trust in God. Acknowledgement of His active power in our lives. Not with signs, but with providence. That's the idea. What a gracious God we have. 
And, and what a wonderful thing to read in the Scriptures. He depends on us. You know, as Isaiah would say, we worms. <laughs> you know, he, he, de- he desires us. He depends on us to do well. And then He will reward us for it. In whatever way He does. And we're, we're not just cattle. We're just existing and waiting to die. We are each an integral part of the kingdom that He sent His Son to die for so that we could be assured salvation. And He's depending on each and every one of us to do our best in glorifying Him. And see, that's the strategy behind what we hear. And you hear this in, in from out of mouths that it shouldn't come all the time. Oh, I give it to God. You know, I give it to the Lord. To God be the glory. You know, these aren't just phrases. Like, those aren't just signs. This is a, an acknowledgement of a strategy of God. And He's saying, don't utter it in ignorance. Look at what He says there in verses 9 and 10. Then you will understand... Oh, sorry. 9 and 10 in chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay. So, I don't own vats and barns and I don't produce produce. That's kind of a funny thing. Okay, anyway. But anyhow, I don't do that. So, I don't have to listen to that. That doesn't apply to me, right? No, this is a symbol of what God is talking about. Uh, God is telling us simply to remember. uh, Don't treat Him like a visitor. You know, and I say that in a negative way when I should say that in a positive way. (laughs) It was funny. My mom taught me about strangers and visitors to the house. It was incredible. You know, uh, and, and she made me learn, and she never taught me this verbally. It's just the way she did things. If a visitor or a stranger came into the house, and I'm just talking about, I'm not talking somebody right off the street that probably would have scared her, but, but you know, but just people she didn't know very well. They come to the house based on coming with us, one of us, or one of our family members. Um, my memory of her was that she never looked at him and go, hey, I got some leftovers from three days ago in the uh, ice box there. She called it an ice box. She goes, I got three days. You you don't want some of that? Are you hungry? My mom never did that. My mom would say something like, I have some chicken. Can I make you a nice sandwich or a nice chicken salad? I'll put it together for you. I'd be happy to make it for you. And she'd always say that. Can I cook you something? And I used to think to myself, Mom, why are you asking a stranger or visitor to the house if you can cook them something? It's not like they're one of us. Wait a minute. You know, bing, the light went on and the lesson was given and she didn't even mean to or do it at you. I mean, she meant to, I'm sure, but but she didn't actively do it. I thought, oh, visitors are to be treated like family. I get it. I see that. So I offer them what I would offer somebody else. This is what Solomon is saying here. He's saying that, that leftovers aren't good enough unless you transform them. Make it something more. Others were treated as her own. And see, God is saying that to us now. Personally, financially, emotionally, physically. 
Don't make God the convenience of your life. Make Him why you are dedicated to life. That's what He's telling His Son here. Serving Him will often mean giving up what you desire or giving up what you would normally want or use for yourself. That's it. And I knew better than to say, Mom, that's our chicken. Aren't you going to make cordon bleu later? You know? I've been slapped upside the head, number one. But then I would have been given a good talking to uh, as well while I was being slapped upside the head. Or in her case, smacked with a board that she kept by the by the refrigerator. There were five boys in the in the in the family, so boards were everywhere. <laughs> it was a necessary thing, okay. In case one broke, you know. But that's the thing is that that there was always that truth there, and I knew that's the way life was supposed to be. And I don't act that way all the time, and I'm ashamed because not only of her memory. But this is what God demands. This is what God says is His will. And look look with me in, in 2 Corinthians. If you turn to the New Testament just for a second there. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians the ninth chapter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 9. Look at what he says there. Paul writes, the point is this. (laughs) Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Oh man, we can't just relegate that to a lesson on the collection. No, Paul says the point is this. Right? That's the point. If you if you are are stingy, then you won't get much. And you could be stingy with your time, with your love, with your opportunities, any of those things that are important. And he says that's the that's the key here. Giving means you're going to get, period. And people can switch that around and turn that into some kind of evil if they want to, but the principle is very simple. And so the point is then with Solomon that serving and honoring God means you won't always get the comfort that you want or the comfort that you desire. And that's on purpose. There's a purpose behind that. Instead, Proverbs teaches us that wisdom cries out to us and we have to learn the price of what she teaches of her message look at verses uh, 13 there through uh, 21 blessed is the one in Proverbs 3 I'm sorry 13 blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding He established the heavens. By His knowledge the the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. It's an amazing lesson that we learn there. What's the price for wisdom? Anybody will tell you if they're wise. Solomon was wise and so he says it. The price is the loss and denial of what we cling to that wisdom can never be greater than. That's what what Solomon is saying. You're clinging to things, I'm clinging to things that cannot compare to what's going on. And that's what he repeats there over and over again in our passage. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter in the 28th verse, I think it's one of the most difficult passages for us to read in Ephesians 4 and 28. Because when we look at the fact, and and we talked a little bit about this this morning too, when I get out of bed in the morning and I go to work, am I thinking about caring for my family and others and that's why I'm so motivated to work? Or am I thinking about the new tool I want to buy? (coughs) Am I thinking about the car I might be able to get? You know, am I thinking about the the cool clothes I might be able to afford that I think I look good in? You know, is that is that what I'm is that what I'm going for? Is that what I'm thinking about? It's interesting. Because it's a challenge to us, isn't it? Ephesians four and twenty eight says, Let him that stole steal no more, right? So we think we're only thinking about those who are thieves. No. No, God is saying, Don't rob me either. And don't rob others. Whenever you have the power to work and to gain and to produce Remember that I gave you that power and here's the reason that I gave it to you. He says right there in Ephesians 4 and 28 is to give to those that need. That's the purpose. If you need it, it's for you. (laughs) If your kids need it, it's for them. If your brother or sister in Christ needs it, it's for them. If your friend needs it, it's for him or her. This is what it's there for. To loan? No. No. To give. <laughs> it's one of the greatest lessons um, my dad taught me. And, and you know, he didn't have time to teach me many. Uh, he died when I was very young. But still, one of the greatest lessons I'll ever learn. Because he told me straight up, he said, Never give anything to anybody that you're not ready to lose. Because it's not worth fighting over. It's just not worth it. Because I would always wonder why he would do for people the way that he did things for people. And it's like, hmm. No. It doesn't matter. I do it because they need it. Well, you you won't get that back. Well, so... (laughs) If I didn't have it to give, I shouldn't have given it. It's a very simple way to live your life, isn't it? And it's a beautiful thing to remember. If I don't have something to give, I'm not going to give it because I'm not going to let this turn into anything else. Wisdom isn't in business savvy. Wisdom isn't in how much I can accumulate. Wisdom is rather in the love I can display 
by selflessness. And the love that you can display by selflessness. Now nationally, we know this, right? If there was a war tomorrow and my sons had to go off to a foreign land and lose their life, oh, I would cry. But I'd be so proud of them for doing that. And I look at that and I say, that's a, that's a price. We say freedom is not free, right? And we and that's right. <laughs> freedom isn't free. It's paid for by the blood of patriots. And that's the way that we live the way that we do. We'll put it on a bumper sticker. We'll wear it on a t-shirt. But we must understand we will sacrifice also, if we're Christians, ourselves, our children, and our loved ones, anything that we can do. Because it's a, it's a worthy price to pay to glorify God. If we'll do it for freedom, which, by the way, everybody, is nothing. <laughs> In the end, it is nothing. It's worthless. We enjoy it, but it's worthless. If we will do that for freedom, we must be ready to do that to glorify God. And to further His kingdom, we must be ready to do that. It is the greatest wealth that we can have. So what about wisdom? What price are you ready to pay for wisdom? What price am I ready to pay? Would it be some of my work hours? Some time, you know, off of the, off the golf course, out of the garage, working on my car, you know, whatever it is that I like to do, fishing on the lake, you know, whatever. Would I expend myself and those things that I love to do and the resources that I have to gain it? Because Solomon did, at least at first. And notice what Solomon demands about getting it. Look at chapter 4, the fourth proverb there, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> I mean, that, that is solid straight in your face. Hey, look, it's this simple. Okay? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. You go down to verse 23. He says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Truer words were never spoken. That is exactly what we're talking about. Sacrifice now, or you'll sacrifice later. Pay now or pay later. We say those things all the time. This is the way that things are, even in the spiritual sense. So what is Solomon truly demanding here? What is he telling his son? Across time, what is wisdom crying out to us? Every decision. See, that's why this hit me so hard this morning, Eddie. <laughs> Every decision. I had already written it, and then he comes up with the, the gun to your head. I was like, man, perfect. I'm going to put that in there. Yeah. Perfect. Providence. Every decision is to be imbued with the knowledge from God. Soaked in it. So that we can do it well. Not just when it's, when it's the cool thing to do. Not when it's the courageous thing to do. 
But when it is the most challenging, simple thing to do, every single decision, sacrifice anything that is not dedicated to God. If it's not dedicated to God, it's not important to you. It's not important to me. It's not important to humanity. So if it's comfort, if it's desire, if it's wealth, whatever it is, here is the thing. Here is the principle. Get wisdom. Simple, straightforward. Can we do it? Sure we can. Will we do it? That's out. I don't know. What's your answer and what's mine? It comes to us every hour of every day and we are challenged by it all the time. And if you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you're being challenged by it right now. Why do I have to do that? Read the book of Colossians, the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Why wouldn't you? God is offering you... I was messing around with Bradley this morning. God is offering you a Teflon coating against sin if you would just repent, if you just turn from it, if you wouldn't engage in it. And it can't, it can't, it can't stick to you. Why would you turn that away? And if you're a Christian and you have been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, why would you forsake it? So the challenge goes to each one of us. Wisdom indeed is crying out. Heed her. Seek her. Cherish her. Whatever your need, if there's anyone here this morning, whatever your need is, please let it be known while we stand together.